we are back at the C4 Yourself podcast, the only podcast where the adventure miraculously begins once we've introduced the transfer student. I am your host, Clamanso Arbonchot, and I am joined today by... Candy Apple. Candy Apple. Uh, you know, honestly, I wish they would candy more things. Why don't we have candy cockroaches? Oh, wait, I think they actually do have that now that I'm thinking of it. You know, I think you're right. The last time I saw a candied cricket, it was like a lollipop, but with a cricket inside. I hate to break it to you, but I, I'm not as good at pronunciation with your name. So what can I call you? Clements is fine. Clements. Yeah. Clements is a normal name. I don't know why you're trying to pronounce it all extra. Clements. Because I heard comments. Clements. Gotcha. Clements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, an, we have an interesting movie for today. It is a 2005 dramatic comedy, which I'm told is uncommon for some reason. It's PG-13 and it's entitled Everything is Illuminated. I'm just going to go ahead and really quick before we get into anything, I'll go ahead and tell you what the plot synopsis for this is. A young man obsessed with his family history journeys to find out more about the life of his grandfather. Journeys is sticking out to me. You have seen this before? Whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody learned from last I time. did. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I have not seen this movie at all. I have no prior information about it. Uh, I was told it was pretty good. And so, so I said, all right, I'll, I'll add that to the list of movies we might watch. Uh-huh. See, this is why I'm glad I asked. <laughs> you won't catch me slipping up twice. Have you, have you seen the movie? I have not seen the movie. That makes this a golden episode. Yeah. Oh, hey! Okay, so do you relate to somebody looking uh, into the past for, for ancestry? I think a lot of people try to do this where they sort of, they're young and they don't know a lot about who they are, what they want, what like drives them, what's their passion, what's their raison d'etre. So they look to the people of the past for answers. You know, who, who that I can identify with has done something that I can kind of draw inspiration from. And say something like, it's in my blood. For whatever reason, very very rapidly one of the first answers to that question is i'll check my family line so like my father and his father and his father's father and my mother and her, you know her mother and her mother's mother and uh i don't know why it's such an uncommon thing to like look to people from other countries or people from like way far into the past you know that that aren't necessarily related to you but that maybe they have a certain ideology or a certain cultural aspect to them that you agree with i doubt that that's going to like come up in this movie i think it's pretty clear from the blurb that it's just like i want to know more about myself so i'm looking for answers to that question in my direct family lineage yeah speaking about direct family lineage wouldn't it be surprising if like we thought your father was this but it turns out you have a different father and his father father is actually like that <laughs> like, like what i'm trying to figure out is if this grandfather figure is like oh wow i didn't know my family was capable of such greatness or if it was like wait a minute i thought we were all we're not all mm. quick question for you actually since you've you've just made me think of this is this movie going to take place in america i feel like it's definitely going to take place in the countryside but i don't know which countryside it'll be it, it could be international but i definitely feel like this is a old country or your roots on a farm sort of deal oh so you're you're thinking it's going to be like okay dad you know i've lived on this farm with you for so many years but i want to know what grandfather did and they're like we don't talk about grandfather you know we don't talk about your grandfather Sorry. No, no, no. Um, so I'm pretty heavily referencing uh, Stardew Valley, where the player's grandfather had a farm and the player's family just kind of became more city, more modern. And in going to the past, you're journeying to your grandfather's lot on the farm. So to me, that that's the first story that sticks out. If you found somebody in your past and you're going to where they went, it's usually like connect in old timey ways. I don't mean to say, I don't know how else to say it, that the old timey ways of community and taking life slowly and living simply you know very that's what makes it accentuates it being rural rather than anywhere else so you're you're not hoping for the going from the farm life to the city life you're hoping for going from the city life to the farm life well i i expect it but they would really capture my interest if they're like you know all this time we have been farmers or all this time we have been fruit sellers but there was this one radical weirdo in the family that we don't talk about and that guy was into piloting planes and he went to pilot school and you'd be like what i secretly i secretly like pilots too 
<laughs> what are what are like some jobs that are like diametrically opposed like if you're like a if you're a farmer what's like the opposite of farming is it like oh you, you know he became like a tech mogul that's the opposite of farm work you're basically sitting in an office all day creating programs and like it doesn't feed anybody you know we are all farmers here but your grandfather was such a neat freak couldn't handle anything biotic so uh just lived around a whole bunch of cardboard, I guess. Or he, he was very good at house cleaning. A man good at house cleaning. I mean, we we disowned him for many things, and that might have been one. <laughs> well, that was one of the the, the more serious considerations. <laughs> He had severe allergies, and so he couldn't he couldn't live our outdoor life. He was a shame, a shame to us. The title for this movie kind of uh, it makes me think that there's like more of an investigation going on here than like oh I just want to know more about my grandfather. Like the the blurb oh. kind of implies. Sorry, go go on, go on. The the blurb doesn't really imply that like fucking hardcore like something's wrong with my family. I got to figure it out. But the title does. Everything is illuminated. It sounds kind of like there was a dark secret that now becomes illuminated right when i heard everything is illuminated i got sunshine like that epiphany moment being outside and like wow my life actually isn't dark and city like at all it's like natural and sunshiny very very blatantly sunshiny <laughs> it's like the difference between british realism and florida realism <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of. It's like here I was living in my own bubble for some reason, and uh, now that I know the past, it's like why don't we always live like this? This is clearly the better way of life. Um, but I like your take because that would be a much better use of the title. I do wonder, and I would like to know what you would think could be like the you know what we don't talk about your grandfather, and then. And it is revealed that the shameful secret that we were trying to hide from was that he's a, I, I, I don't know, I guess if for me, it's its always in 2005, like, oh, he's a cross-dresser. And it's like, I don't know, the young, optimistic and open-minded person looking for the grandfather is like, oh, that's fine. I'm cool with this. His dad, who has more like conservative ideals, is like, oh, God, my father dresses like a lady. Ah. I can see there being room for that. Um, but I think it's mental illness because it's going to take a long time for us to get used to even saying those two words together as a discussion point. So go ahead, find out about that person that you relate to so much, your grandfather, who you like so much, and how much you have in common with him. Oh, no, that's scary. Maybe a hallucination or two. So in that sense, maybe it's like, discovering your dark secret is that this is genetic it's gonna happen it skips every other generation you know that that sort of genetic curse it is pretty clear from just this one line of the blurb that like the movie's gonna be from the young man's perspective but i would love it if it's from the grandfather's perspective and it's just him like having these like he's got like dementia or he's got schizophrenia or something and he just like sees all this weird stuff and he's not sure and he's like scared and old and fragile and things his grandson is coming to like meet with him and he's like oh, fuck, I gotta keep it together. I gotta keep it together. Fuck, 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 fuck. I think that's a lot more comedy, which is what I was about to ask you. Like, where is the comedy coming from? And if the comedy is coming from keeping the crazy under the floorboards, then yeah, you got a lot to work with. I would really love for the grandfather character to be alive when we meet him. But it sounds like, I don't know, to me, when I heard that line, I was like, oh, he has to look it up somewhere. So that must mean he's like dead but i'm totally open for him to be alive the whole movie is just him at his local library on the computer like looking up details of his grandfather so my grandfather's name was john smith so it's gonna take me a while before i find out who my grandpa is <laughs> yeah do you think there'll be something like horrendously tragic in this? Like it's like, oh, my grandfather was like a Nazi sympathizer and I don't agree with all that stuff. And so now I'm having to kind of like learn about him uh, begrudgingly. And my my dad's not supporting me, but I'd, I'd rather know than, you know, just leave this stuff in the dark, you know, and people are being mean to me about my grandfather. and I don't even know who he was or what he was into or whatever. And then find out it's something heinous like that. I don't know why I went here, but I thought that the drama was that this guy is so boring he's he's an office worker probably he's a cubicle guy he's a pencil pusher there's has no zeal in life i thought that that's the drama of a boring person discovering that their life is boring 
and that they can fix it easily if they just resonate with something. I, I don't think that's a good drama, but that's what I expected. It's it's usually, in my experience, it's usually the other way where the main character is like the pencil pusher. Like, I just sit at my desk all day and don't do anything. And so their call to adventure is like stumbling upon the fact that their grandfather was like this swashbuckling pirate or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I Maybe I misunderstood you. I kind of thought you were saying that the grandfather would be that way. And that would be like a point of like comedy and disappointment for the grandson. Oh, no, I that would be a twist for me. But I was expecting something like uh, the way Walter Mitty plays it, where it's a it's a guy who he's not living the life that he expects to live. I expected that of the main character, too, to be like, you remember, from the city, unfulfilled, has to look in the past and imagine that that past person has lived a much better life so that they can adopt past ways, past values. Do you think we'll get anything like sort of at the beginning that sort of indicates that the uh, the grandson was uh, kind of attuned to his grandfather? his entire life like maybe he finds out his grandfather was in this really cool band and then at the beginning it actually shows like a poster in the background of that very same band i don't i expect them to play up how mysterious this figure is in his life to help keep the audience guessing about what he represents and what kind of shenanigans that might entail like for me this the comedy part would probably be baked into the setting so i'm thinking haha weak city boy look at him try farming Bad, bad city boy. Such a shame. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I that that's what I want to say. I hate to bring this up. I hate doing this. I don't. I don't like doing. I do not relish this. So, no, no. As I'm saying this, that this isn't something I want to do to you. But I do feel that it is my duty. Okay. You've kind of accidentally stumbled onto a genre of Hallmark movies that are made like basically every year they make a couple of these movies where you know this city lady gets into some amount of trouble or something and gets sent out to live on her cousin or her uncle or some extended family member's farm and while she's out there she sort of reconnects with her roots learns to love being on the farm has like a whirlwind romance with one of the farm hands or one of the I don't know he like wrangles the horses or the cows or some other thing and then her city boy boyfriend or husband or dad or whatever person tries to come back and say, oh, you've had enough punishment being out here. We'll take you back to the city. And she has to defend the farm from some financial difficulty it's having and also tell her dad slash boyfriend slash whatever to get out of here. I want to live on the farm where I'm done with you now. You're part of the problem that this farm is facing. That's almost kind of the movie you've constructed here, but with more like self journey is, is family instead of self journey is falling in love with a, a rancher. I don't think that that's offensive at all. I think Hallmark is targeted towards me. They don't get it right most of the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm prime prime Hallmark material, but I'm not into the spirit of the, the season, the holidays. So they have a tough time selling it to me because the magic of winter is lost upon me. <laughs> so that's why I thought maybe this country one would have been the thing. So I do think that getting in touch with the land would do it. Like it, it's kind of reminding me of under the under the Tuscan sun mm. but you're right uh, I keep constructing a romance when instead we're going for a dramatic comedy so maybe I just don't know enough about dramatic comedy to accurately guess what's going on here <laughs> I feel like the comedy is all gonna come from like we're quirky young people in a place where there aren't a lot of quirky young people <laughs> I hang my head but that was prevalent wasn't it <laughs> Will, will our main character have like a sidekick type guy? Not in the beginning. Here's what I think the extent of the side character is. Hello, my fellow co-worker. Don't we live the drabbest of lives? Keep in touch when you go away. Thanks for this phone call. Wow, you've really changed, my dude. And then there'll be another kind of sidekick that comes along and be like, my neighbor. I like hanging out with my neighbor. You're also my neighbor and therefore we get along. Ha ha ha. Here's some pointers on how to like live the country life. Good luck. <laughs> That'll be it. And these kinds of movies, this guy cannot stand alone. He's not an interesting guy. It's gotta be either he is quirky and interesting enough on his own not to need a, a sidekick. And his sidekick will be kind of like the reminder of back home. So like a friend that like was a neighbor or something. Your coworker cubicle boyfriend. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, just like boring dude who makes him look a little bit more quirky for the scenes where he doesn't have like his grandfather or the people that his grandfather hangs out with to like bounce off of. Or he's the boring one. And along the way, he picks up someone more quirky who's not like fully ingratiated in all the cool and interesting stuff of the grandfather, but like is the middle ground between like how wildly interesting the grandfather is and how boring uh, our main character is, the grandson is. I was just about to bring out how like the way I'm hearing it now, it kind of reminds me like it could be a like a without a paddle situation where it's like, oh, I helped bury treasure with your grandfather. I mean, I thought I did, but then that old trickster, I ended up burying a completely vacant chest in the middle of the woods. <laughs> so I, I can kind of see there definitely being room for like a, a fun uncle sort of character that knew the grandfather that wasn't quite the same tier. I think that'd be a great way of healing, discovering somebody that you relate to so much, but that's never there for you because this is like, again, in my version, the first time you're discovering this person. You mentioned in the last episode that we were together, you're a big fan of like the Lemony Snicket uh, storytelling style. In Lemony Snicket, kind of the thing that like sort of uh, is in the backdrop of a lot of the things that are happening in the story is that the main character's like parents are dead. Yes. Do you think that will be something of a catalyst for our character? Like maybe his parents die. And so that's why he's trying to look into the life of his grandfather to like have those paternal figures that he just lost back again. Maybe. I No, no, I don't think it's that way. I think it's I think it's an inheritance or the discovery of like lost letters. Like you could tell that the grandparent was trying to reach out and be a part of their lives and that the parents were somehow there stopping that from happening. Well, hey, we are coming up on that time now. And uh, I just wanted to make sure before we, you know, go over to watching the movie, is there, is there anything else you wanted to go ahead and bring up now? This is last call. I'm going to be disappointed if he actually does fall in love with like a country girl and she teaches him the ways of the country. Like even if everything else I said was wrong, if he falls in love with a country girl <laughs> and she convinces him to buy or live on a farm, I'm going to be like, see, this should have been a romantic comedy. Hallmark had it right. <laughs> They're just stealing the old Hallmark formula. You can rebrand it as much as you want to, but I see those colors. I see that tone. I'm going to go ahead and try to thread the needle here with a very specific prediction. I don't know if it's just all the Hallmark movie in me, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be a scene where our main character is like, oh no, I've never touched a gun in my life. I wouldn't do that. They're dangerous. And then a character comes along and is like, no, they're fun toys. Here, watch. Just go ahead and shoot one. And he's like, oh my God, I love shooting guns. I'm going to shoot guns now. And they have fun time shooting at cans or bottles or something. I'd like to see that. I would like to see that. I'm going to go ahead and that's my hyper specific scene that I think is going to be in here. Yeah, we both did. I was like, is my scene hyper specific enough? Country girl convincing you to live a simple life on the country? I think so. Sounds good to me. Well, let's go ahead and uh, everybody, you know, disperse to go watch the movie. We'll come back. This movie, for the record, incredibly available for free. You can find it on multiple different sites. Go ahead and look it up and, and you'll see very, very free available. So uh, I'll go ahead and say everybody disperse. Go, go find the movie. Go watch it. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. I have one more idea. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What if he's a photographer, this grandfather figure? Mm -hmm. And that's why everything's illuminated. Oh, okay. Yeah, dark room, and then I just had that thought, so <laughs> I don't know how to thread it in. But well, you know the the people who invented the uh, invented film were the Lumiere brothers. No, I did not know that. Now you do. Hey, here I am providing la information. But like I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. Let's all break from this and go watch and take our predictions and shove them right up our movie. And we'll we'll do that now with our eyeballs. Go. So we're already six seconds after getting back from the film, we're already lighting each other up with horrifying conversation about difficult representations and and uh, how this movie was incredibly challenging, uh, honestly. I, I was led to believe this was a lighthearted romp with some quirky, fun, sprinkled throughout, a, a self-affirming journey. The most serious thing that I thought from your version was there was going to be some detective work, and I was like, ooh, somebody's going to get found out doing that one hobby. So just, just really quick, I was I was really close with it turns out his grandfather is a Nazi or something or a Nazi symbol. You were. I was right there. It wasn't his grandfather, it was the The cool uncle that you also predicted. Yeah, the cool sidekick uncle guy. He's he's a cool dude. They sort of heavily imply that he could have been killing Jewish people 
during World War II. And that's like left ambiguous and in, in sort of the midpoint of the film, whether or not he was killing Jewish people or he was the Jewish person being shot at. From the beginning, we know that their family is not keen on rich Jews. And that seemed like, okay, yeah, there's there would be grounds to believe that, especially during the midpoint when the guy seems like he's having war memories. And I was like, oh, that's not good. They also have that like back and forth where he's like, wait, but Michael Jackson's definitely not a Jew, right? Yeah, no, de definitely not. Why would you think Michael Jackson would be? But like, he's just so horrified to find out Sa Sammy Davis Jr. was was Jewish or converted to Judaism. And, and so he's like, oh, no, what about uh, 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 Sha Shaquille O'Neal, the, the, the Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> He says it all funny. Yes, yes. Uh, my grandfather has informed me that it is impossible for Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> to be Jewish. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. There, There is something in that potentially, and I'm not exactly sure if that's what the movie's trying to hit on or not. But like, uh, I do know that being Jewish is passed down from the, the women. Like you have to have a mother or a grandmother in your family line to be considered Jewish. But I don't know if that's like biologically Jewish and they're discussing religiously Jewish, which are two different things. It's like two different things, but it, it's like it comes into the same umbrella when when he's like, it couldn't be. It's like, yeah, he converted. I was like, yep, that, that is a way. That is definitely a way. Yeah, they they sort of connect. And it makes talking about it kind of, I guess, difficult. Maybe just confusing, not difficult. Just there's an easy way to have a con disconnect there. Did you, uh, let me ask you this really quickly, because uh, you immediately sort of jumped into this uh, discussion on the Jewish representation in the film. Uh, did you have subtitles? I did have subtitles, and they left me completely in the dark with the other languages used. Yeah, so when they're speaking, I want to say it's in Russian, it's just not there. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, um, I thought this was going to go on for maybe one really long scene, but they really want to make me feel out of place as an American, because that's exactly what the main character is, an American who relies completely on his translator. Yeah, so apparently there are versions of the film that have the Russian translations in them, but both of the versions that we have available for absolutely free do not. And as as I'm watching it, I'm considering like contacting you and saying, hey, let's just scrap this episode. Uh, obviously, there's a big like language barrier here. As I was watching the film and the longer it became evident that they're not teaching me this language, they like I was listening for those moments where like, well, whenever you hear this word, you know what it means. And like we got one of those. And I was like, OK, that's what they're trying to do. No, no. I, I kept listening. The closest I could get was, oh, yeah, that's a name I recognize. That's a name I recognize. That's a place I recognize. And I'm out when the woman starts showing the photographs and she's like, name, name, foreign word, name, foreign word, other name. I was like, you have lost me completely. I am so sorry. I thought I was intelligent. And uh, no, I was I was a big old fraud. I, I cannot follow simple <laughs> pointing to people in who knows how long ago pictures and saying their names and keeping up with who are you again ma'am who are you yeah so i heavily considered uh scrapping the movie on that right but the more that i watched it the more i thought you know this this movie does make sense without the the translations the beauty of tubi which is what i use to watch this movie is that the commercials come up and they're about like about a minute long some of them some of them a little shorter than that some of them you know a little longer maybe and so in that time, I would try to Google uh, the Russian translations. And they're not terribly like, there's obviously some that are going to be more impactful than others, but a lot of them, they, they kind of make sense. The scene uh, where we first get those like Russian words that don't make a whole lot of sense, and it's introducing Alex as a character. Yes. They're arguing initially about Alex's younger brother, who is wearing a hat that looks kind of silly. And so they're telling him to take off that stupid looking hat. And then they talk about how Alex looks like a, a lunatic and they don't need another son that looks like a lunatic. And then they argue about like uh, a couple of other things. But um, it's interesting to me that that's like the first time we get introduced to Alex as a character. And then the last time we see Alex as a character, he's wearing a different kind of hat, the sort of the yarmulke to his grandfather's, his, his Jewish funeral. I can see how subtitles would have added to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was timid and I, I approached you earlier to sort out how I was going to use terminology because I didn't know that that was going to be a thing. And I know that this is going to be heard by the public 
And uh, unfortunately, the consensus is I don't know, and I'm doing my best. So please forgive me. I mean, none of this with any sort of maliciousness. I just do not know between the terms to choose from. So I'll start with the word that I do know. Alex says Negro. He says Negro a few times. Yes, he does. And I was wondering if the film was just going to let him keep doing that forever. Um <laughs> that he is corrected by an American, but not to the point where we could see it really sink in. The language barrier is there. And it reminded me of a time when I was meeting with my Korean friends. They were real Korean transfer students that were very happy to be Korean transfer students. And when they found out that me and one in particular, this guy, him, he's like, call me your Korean friend. And I was like, I'll just call you my friend. How about that? And he's like, no, you can call me your Korean friend. And I was like, why would I do that when we're just regular friends? That's not important to the uh, story. You know, it's just me and you hanging out, being friends. And it boggled his mind so much why I was dancing around it. Because to me, I knew every listener was going to hear race and not country of origin. So uh, it's difficult to convey in a short conversation. Yeah, so the nuance of it is is difficult to get across. And I, I loved that scene, the, the scene you're talking about when they're in the car and they're talking back and forth. And he says, uh, I love Negroes. They are uh, premium people. I love that too. <laughs> it's like, top shelf. <laughs> uh, premium people. And he goes, no, it's just, it's just wrong to say that word. And he's like, oh, what's wrong with Negroes? and like <laughs> he just clearly doesn't get it um <laughs> and it's it's just a cool argument to have or like it's a cool discussion to have because yeah like there are a lot of people who don't get these like really really interesting subtle nuances that americans have just like integrated completely into their like dialogue and what's allowed to be said and what's not people from other places don't see that as necessary at all and they almost look at it as you're uh, almost like you're saying there's something wrong with black people so you can't call them certain things and so there's something wrong with Negroes and he's like no no there's nothing wrong with with Negroes the word Negroes is wrong this is I've said Negroes entirely too many times <laughs> I'll save you here <laughs> so starting with our narrator is coming from a not so fantastic relationship to Jews. He refers to them as rich Jews. And so we're like, is is Jews okay? Or should it be Jewish? Should it be Jewish person? Apparently, um, my quick Google search says, you get to decide that. <laughs> pick your tone, pick how you're using it in a sentence, never as a verb, never, never as a verb. Um, but if it's a noun, <laughs> use it as a noun. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little confused. How would you use it as a verb? Like, I just Judah on over there <laughs> like what did you okay so when you use it as a verb you'd be using it as a stand-in for cheating somebody with money or being greedy with money or oh so okay okay yeah yeah i see that now my bad <laughs> i just i had a moment of like brain lapse how have they contorted the word to be a verb yes yes they do yes. <laughs> fucking hell no, you've, you've encapsulated my experience perfectly. I used to have a, a cute little icebreaker. I'd be like, if somebody used your name, what would they mean? Like, if somebody used your name as a verb, what would they be meaning to say? Or if they used it as an adjective, in what, in what way would they? Uh, I've stopped using it. It's too much uh, assumptions of people about grammar in English language. <laughs> yeah, uh, it turns out people come up with some weirdly illuminating stuff when they, when they answer that question, I imagine. <laughs> segue to the title everything is illuminated yeah some movies will tell you their theme right to your face and this movie did it in a way that was kind of surprising i was i was i'm usually not a big fan of movies saying like love will cure all illness as like an actual line in the movie and then the whole movie's about like how love helped this person overcome cancer or something but this movie has that line in it everything is illuminated in the light of the past i thought yeah that's um that's a next level way of using your title in your movie. I appreciated that because that was a crucial clue. All this time I'm looking at white laundry on lines and sunlight and, and things being found in the moonlight. And I was like, okay, so which one of these things is the illuminated part again? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Grandfather Alex, not uh, Alex Jr. Jr. Oh my God, I just got the Sammy Jr. Jr. thing as compared to Alex Jr. Jr. Because his father's name is Alex and his grandfather's name is Alex. Jesus Christ. 
Christ. I feel so stupid. It's okay. It's interesting that Grandfather Alex sees the moon in the daytime constantly. Almost as if the moon is like a metaphor for like the reminder of the past or a reminder of like nights gone by. It's almost as if uh, the movie's trying to say that the, the moon is illuminating uh, his experience. It's showing him what's what's come before. You know, like the things that have happened in the past. They they use the moon as, as, a, as a metaphorical tool so perfectly in this film. It's it's really well done to counterbalance that the uh, Lista her home is surrounded by sunflowers. So the the sun to represent like the present or or maybe even the future things that have happened after the events of the moon. I like where you're going with it. I was like, well, the moon's also part of the evening, and in the Jewish way of counting, like the lunar the eve comes before dawn, which is something I'm still trying to wrap my head around. You know, it's not Adam and dawn; it's Adam and Eve. Evening first, then the dawn. So I was like, oh. Is that what the moon is there for? Because it's representing a different way of keeping time. This should probably be said for this movie more so than any other movie, which is shocking because we've had this happen a couple of times on the podcast. Our ignorance on this topic is really shining through. Yeah. (laughs) Enthusiastic. Yes. There are quite a few movies that we've done where we just didn't do any research going in beforehand and we didn't know a whole lot about what the movie would be about. And that's kind of what we do at this podcast. Uh, See the Santo episode we did in season one. Santo and the Fury of the Karate Masters, I think is what it was called. We didn't know anything about about Santo or about what the movie would be about or anything. And and unfortunately, those perfect, sweet baby boys who did the Santo movie discussion kind of got the easy end of the stick compared to what we get. Our movie's about like the horrors of World War II and their movie was about a luchador who beat people up. (laughs) Only the most sensitive topic for Candy, Apple, and Clements. Only the most. (laughs) When I picked up on the word journey, I was like, okay, uh, they're going to go somewhere. And I was content to think he's going to travel somewhere else. But no, this is basically a road trip movie. Mm -hmm. It takes place in a car. (laughs) There are plenty of scenes where you're looking at premium countryside i know that the car scenes are kind of meant to be like a little bit more lighthearted and fun but there's a lot of them that are kind of harrowing like when they drive by those like buildings that had had like all their windows shattered and everything and he says like what happened here and he goes liberation oh i didn't understand why that would fit because like you were saying the car scenes were like i have dog phobia but the dog's staying you're just gonna have to live with your dog phobia then when we get the illuminated by the light of the past it's like oh yeah that was alongside the road the way you know it's the soviet building it's the well diggers making fun uh, i still don't know what they made fun of but it was not nice what they did what they said wag your finger was not okay yeah so i i really would have loved context for that scene as well because it's interesting to me that the grandfather came out and beat up on young alex and that elijah Wood. by the way elijah wood's in this movie that's the thing we didn't even mention that no he didn't yeah he's it easier did you, did you see Elijah Wood audience? I think you did. As soon as you saw his face, you're like, well, that helps me watch the rest of the movie. He he really does play like timid dude, you know, not really trying to make a big splash very well. <laughs> I wrote nerd looking and I was like, he doesn't work in a cubicle, but I think I was right. The guy's a collector. Boring man. Yeah, he is boring man. I, I wish we knew what his job was, but um, he plays the guy who wrote the book that this is based on. Uh, Jonathan Saffron Foer, who's also in the movie as a leaf blower. Good cameo. I don't remember that moment. <laughs> neither, neither do I. <laughs> I wanted to point out that this movie is very book friendly. It's based on a book. It's segmented in chapters. We have a narrator. And I was like, I, I kind of wish I knew that it was based on a book because then I'd be like, it, it could be more, I don't know, um, story bookish, storytelly than I'm used to movies being more like story showy. It is interesting that we sort of think of uh, movies that are based on books as being more wordy. But this movie, uh, along with not being terribly wordy, also most of the dialogue we're just missing. That's true. I, I didn't feel like a big impact in the film. Like, oh, it really takes away from the film not knowing all the different words that are being spoken because the movie really does look very good and the actors are giving a good performance and it's it's very interesting that like they really lean into Alex sort of wondering if his grandfather might have been a Nazi or like someone who killed Jewish people at some point in his life. So I don't feel like I was robbed because I didn't have that information, but I do feel that 
my expectation of the film would have been more goofy because you have the ability to explain, explain away more what you're talking about in between the narration. Before I committed to this as a book, as a movie, I was wondering if Alex was going to be our unreliable narrator because he's like, all of the ladies want to get carnal with me. And I was like, that is not what those ladies' faces are saying. So is the comedy going to be in the irony of you thinking all the women are hitting on you and they're not hitting on you? But having the book as a vehicle to segment the story and then to tie a correspondence together and make everything more meaningful by referring back to the title, I, I feel like I, I don't get a, any sort of clue with that, not knowing that it wasn't based on a book. There's probably a lot of the dialogue or maybe even just the best parts of the dialogue that are probably taken straight from the book. I'm pretty sure the everything is illuminated in the light of the past bits are just right out of the book. Fun fact, Leave Schreiber uh, did the screenplay and directed this film. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Leif Schreiber. Leif Schreiber is best known for his acting performances. Uh, did you ever watch, I'm just trying to pick something that you might know him from. Did you ever watch X-Men Origins Wolverine? A long time ago. Do you remember the guy who played uh, Sabretooth? As an adult? Yeah, like as a grown man. Yeah. I think I do, barely. That's Leif Schreiber. Good on him. He was cotton weary in the first Scream movie, but apparently he worked on the first three Scream movies. But yeah, like he's he's most known for his acting, but he's done a bunch of different stuff and he's kind of been big on the independent film scene uh, and has more recently gotten into more mainstream Hollywood stuff. Yeah, Leif Schreiber, that's, uh, that's our guy. He's been working in the industry for like ever. Just a few stars in the film that you just watched. And he, he did the screenplay and directed, which is like... Like, that's that's a lot of work to put on one guy. Yeah, I think you really love the source material. Yeah, uh, maybe it's it, it is. It's such a weird. I don't know. Like if I asked you like, hey, who would direct this film? You know, I don't know if Leave Schreiber would be the name you'd come up with. In my defense, I, I have very little knowledge of directors. Oh, uh, actually, I'm on his Wikipedia page right now. And uh, this kind of spells it all out for you. His father's Protestant and his mother's Jewish. His maternal grandfather emigrated from Ukraine. I mean, it's yeah, it's all here. <laughs> <laughs> Liev Schreiber might have been the perfect person to direct this film. <laughs> ha! And don't don't judge Liev Schreiber at, at face value. Were there any parts of the movie that just felt like really beautiful to you? Like, I, I love asking this question just because I, I want to challenge people's uh, eye for really well-constructed cinematic moments. One of the things that I was really drawn to in this movie is uh, the, like, the nature scenes. Um, I felt like I was with them. I also enjoy that sort of natural pacing, like I was being in the car with them. I also think that the car scenes are shot at just the right distance like i being near alex the young and being near jonathan it, it felt right whereas in other moments in the film it was less pretty for me because they were like you were looking at their forehead to their chin and it might be just a little bit more than their chin but their their head was angled weird and i was like please please let me breathe i feel like i can smell your breath i don't like it getting really intimate with the shot puts you off it does i i feel it I feel it every time it happens. Like even if it's a slow zoom into somebody's face at a certain threshold, I'll pull back in my chair trying to keep that distance. And like, I can't lie to the camera. They're still going to go in there. And I was like, this is too much. The shot that really does it for me is uh, they're they're driving away from the, I'm going to go ahead and call it a mass grave, the mass grave for the Jewish people who were killed in Trachtenbrod. They're driving away and it zooms sort of in on the, the grandfather's face and it does that fade to white. And then when we fade back, in he's in the bathtub and it's not really clear what's happened yet until they fade back out and it's clear that he's slit his wrists in the bathtub and uh he's he's in a pool of his own blood and just the visuals for that it, it comes up in a couple of movies here or there and i think this movie did it very well it looks really good it's a very striking visual um it's handled very respectfully and i just think that it's beautiful it's a beautiful shot it looks really good very striking colors obviously uh when we're talking about scenes that have like the right shot i was thinking about what the movie does well throughout and i was like oh i really enjoyed being along for the ride um but if we're talking about like the standout moment where you like feel the camera difference of excellence uh, as far as the scene that really gripped me that was really impressive was when alex the old is done beating up alex the young and it's it's like a long shot for me because you see all of the action of him leaving and then of alex like getting over the pain of being assaulted by his grandpa, picking himself up off the ground and dusting off and following after his grandpa. 
usually, I don't know, it just seems like people would chop up that moment and then hurry along. But being there for like the pain and uh, the loyalty to keep going and stick onto the mission, it stuck with me. That actually kind of makes me wonder, do you think that uh, Grandfather Alex was actually trying to find the the small Jewish town that he left behind this whole time? Like, that's why he started that business, was to hopefully someone would come along and say, hey, I'm looking specifically for the town that you're from, and then he'd be able to find it, because it would be hard for him to be like, hey, it's me, a guy who is definitely not Jewish, looking for this all-Jewish town. Now it's easier because he has this excuse like, oh, I'm just getting some money out of these Jewish people. Haha. I'm not looking for the towns. They're looking for the towns. And I just happen to be there. Is that why he started this business of like helping rich Jewish people to find their like old world homes? That makes a lot of sense to me because when they were describing it, it sounded like they were scammers because the seeing eye dog wasn't really seeing eye and he's blind, but he's not really blind. So I don't know. Maybe I guess I assumed they led the people to like a country house and will be like, like, yeah, totally. It matches everything. But they didn't they didn't come across somebody like Jonathan who had to photograph so they couldn't just pretend that they were there. On the note of him claiming to be blind but not actually being blind, do you think that also connects with his past of being Jewish but claiming that he's not? I think it's played for such a short period of time. It's hard for me to get behind that, especially since they said he picked up being blind after his wife died. It's a weird place to start that and then afterwards he like doesn't really wear it when we're meeting the new people when he's i mean of course when he's driving he can't but we're meeting a lot of people along the way and he's not even attempting to appear blind to them yeah i guess it's a it's it's an interesting question why they would include the blind bit other than just like it's kind of funny because it is it is pretty funny like admittedly pretty pretty goofy no he is not actually blind he's just blind in his mind in his thinking Alex is so funny. Alex is endearing, yes. I love, I love, (laughs) Alex is easily my favorite character in this movie. I adore Alex. It's weird how much spotlight Jonathan gets when the movie's kind of definitely about Alex. If we want to talk about spotlights, can we talk about how the camera really needs us to pay attention to how thick? Jonathan's glasses are. They refract light. This is not your fake prop glasses. This is Elijah Wood damaging his vision for you. I do wonder uh, if if those glasses actually did in real life he was actually putting on these huge glasses or if there was some kind of an effect being done because I'm sure. No, I think that's the real deal. I saw his face pores. His face. If the camera got him in the right way, his cheek went all the way to the edge of his glasses. He was wearing magnifying glasses. I just I could very well see a situation where they're like, yeah, it's just normal glasses, but we put like, you know, green screen colored tape behind the lenses. So Elijah isn't actually seeing anything while he's acting because all he can see is the green. But when we go in with our, uh, you know, our computer CGI stuff, we're able to make his eyes look like they're really popping out at you. I don't know. I mean, and, and that's another thing to like add to my earlier point of like using blindness as a means of claiming that you're not Jewish. And then Elijah, who is embraced his Jewishness. Him definitely see, yes. He, his eyes are seeing the hell out of you. He can see your whole ass soul. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, with the foil, there is grounds for that, yes. Uh, he can see what you did yesterday. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, god damn. Chill the fuck out, Jonathan. It ain't like that. So, so when we first see him take his grandmother's dentures put it in a plastic baggie and stab it to his wall i was like i I wrote down pre-serial killer (laughs) (laughs) i was about to say in in my mind this visual is something from a serial killer film like he's about to kill that old lady those are his victims those are his victims (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's he's about to end these people, or he just recently ended them, and that's the plot of the film. So we have this big wall of other people that are that have like a bajillion items for them, and then we turn to see his grandfather who only has one item, and it kind of feels like to me like he's the next victim, but we already know he's dead. But like if with no other context, that would be I'm just saying with different music, this scene would be horrifying. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. There's even one with a condom in it. What is wrong with you, Jonathan? Yeah, I don't know what would uh, what would possess him to baggy up a condom like that. On the note of the music, the music for this movie is a lot of fun. It's it's very like upbeat and fun. And I don't know. It's 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 hard to imitate the, the type of music, but it's very, very enjoyable. I thought I agree. I felt so proud of myself. I was able to correctly identify one of the songs in the movie. I was like, oh, my gosh, that sounds like start wearing purple. And so I'm like singing it to myself to see if it hits all the beats, because sometimes a song will sound like another song until like the second bar hits and then it does its own thing. But no, it did. And I was like, is there an instrumental of start wearing purple? And then as the scene picked back up again, the vocals were dim, but they were there. And then I knew extra for sure because they used start wearing purple as the end credit song. I was like, they knew it was a good song. They wanted to rub it in. Oh, absolutely. They were like, we picked we picked a winner here, boys. Let's let's double up on it. I don't think you appreciated it that first time. Here it is in all its glory. Start wearing purple. Oh, I actually did not appreciate it the first time. I didn't even catch it. Uh, but when I heard it in the in the closing credits, I was like, oh, nice. Right on. This movie sits in a really weird place. How did you feel about the about the ending of the film where he's like walking through the airport and seeing all of the actors from uh, like the Ukraine, but they're in this American airport, like doing airport jobs and stuff, you know? When it happened the first time, I was like, oh, oh man, I know what that's like. There's only so many ways the human genome can be mixed. There's been plenty of people I've met throughout my life that looked like somebody else that I met and I didn't pick up on it right away or I did pick up on it right away. So I was like, yep, once you open your eyes, man, it's everywhere. It happens a lot. We've got almost doppelgangers everywhere. But then when it happened, like before he even really got out of the airport, I was like, no, wait a minute. Three times after an escalator, that might be a little short, but I'll ride with it for this movie because you know storytelling but uh, I, it ruined my immersion when it, he saw it happen so many times before he even like left the building. I wonder if it's supposed to be like a parallel to what Alex was saying about how they've like touched each other's lives and they'll always be walking alongside one another. That's definitely a better read I think than just hey Candy Apple your very specific experience of seeing other people and other people's faces. We 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 get that. <laughs> We're speaking to you specifically. I see you, Candy Apple. I see you. I do agree, though. I think you're right that that is like a a common experience that people do have where they're like, oh, here I am just living my everyday life. Oh, my God. It looks just like that person I knew in high school or whatever. And like, like we're all unique and different. Sure. In our totality. But like there's only a certain number of different kinds of noses and eyes and hair and, you know, at least perceptibly. And especially if you're not like injured or scarred or something. I, I agree. I've seen that in my lifetime quite a few times in fact uh, and it's always super weird because you like tell people like hey you look kind of like someone I used to know and they're like that doesn't do anything for me yeah why do we have such unappreciative people if somebody says I basically saw you in a past life but in this life you should be like show me a picture of them I think it's because it's not something that's really explored uh, very well so they don't have like a template for how to respond and because of that they're like oh fuck I'm being put on the spot and I have to come up with a creative answer to this and uh, I, I guess I'll just get offended because I don't know what to do and this is rubbing me the wrong way. Are you saying that you objectify my face instead of seeing me as a person? It's like, uh, what I'm saying is the residual feelings of affection that somebody else cultivated in me, you are now the benefactor of. I'm saying that my small potato monkey brain that I use to like understand that like circle block go into circle hole uh, is able to look at your face and recognize a similar pattern with another face I'm familiar with. That's all I'm saying. Hey, it's not like I cloned the person I'm talking to you about. In fact, you look older. You look 30 years older than the person I think you resemble. Does that make you feel better? But also do not check my basement for a cloning facility of any kind. I, I don't collect anything. Who told you that? I'm definitely not collecting things, hoping to go to Ukraine and convince an old man to kill himself for no reason. Did you did you feel like there was like a direct reason for him to, to off himself that way? Or was it just all too much? I don't know what his trigger was specifically especially because of the language but what I what I did piece together is he had already died quotation marks in that mass grave 
he got up and he walked away. He lived his life. Um, then he sees like, I don't know, the preciousness of life through the eyes of Jonathan and longevity and lineage. And then he dies lying almost face up before I think he was facing sideways. But it's the same sort of lying down. So instead of living living a life where he's not, he goes back and corrects it like he should have died that long. I don't agree with it, but that is the logic that I think he's using. There is a lot of like, uh, what do they call it? Like survivor's guilt that people experience where uh, they feel like they, you know, got out by happenstance or luck or whatever you want to call it, destiny. That that means that they should feel guilty for the rest of their lives because, you know, they survived and they shouldn't have. So one of the other people was more worthy of surviving or you know, if it was just luck, then why me and not one of the other people, so on and so forth. And it would have been nice if the movie could have like explored that a little bit more. And maybe they did, and we're just missing the subtitles for it. It is a lot to contemplate. And the movie kind of just leaves it up to you if you don't have the translations. And maybe even if you do have the translations, it doesn't really seem like the kind of thing that uh, the author of the book would be like, and he did it because of this. The two factors I think that may have helped lead to that erroneous underscore erroneous conclusion. He he kisses Lista's hand like she recognizes him for who he is even though he's tried all these years to not be identified as a Jewish man and I think when he kisses her hand he's like you got it right I've been it this whole time I just it took me a while and it really touches his heart when Jonathan brings him the soil it's like it grounds him and it puts his whole life in a context that we don't see so th those things happen shortly before he, he offs himself in a bathtub and perhaps they are related I can't know with my my tiny potato monkey brain of mine. Hey, uh, you're talking about potatoes. That reminds me, we got to have a good long scene about a vegetarian and a non-vegetarian place. Mm -hmm. uh, was that as funny for you as I imagined it should have been for me? I, I... <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty funny for me, but um, I had a tough time with it, kind of, because, uh, I don't know, I felt bad when he dropped the potato, and then I thought that the old man was just going to steal his potato, and, oh, but then they all shared the potato, and it, it was a very emotional scene for me, okay? I, I was confused, because, okay, this is his one source of food, and then it falls to the ground. Oh, he's picking it up to, to clean it. No, he's cutting into it. He's cutting it for him to eat it. He's not cutting it for him. He's cutting it for the dog. He's sharing it with everyone. He gets less how is this good the man is hungry this is the only potato in the pantry that doesn't have meat on it and then he pockets it away in a ziploc bag i was like so he's just not gonna eat mm, this is bad this is bad hospitality it is uh really interesting that they just gave him like a boiled potato like they didn't even <laughs> not baked no that'd be too good <laughs> they skinned, skinned it for it. him yeah <laughs> <laughs> And thankfully, Jonathan laughs it off so that I couldn't be angry the whole movie, but I, I didn't feel it. So I guess when he said, welcome to Ukraine, it's like whatever scraps we have, we share because it hit the floor before they did that. But I also don't know the context. It was frustrating for me that he didn't actually eat the potato because one, one you're right, like it, it, uh, it does seem like this is going to be a hardship he's going to have to struggle through. So he might as well get his food in while he can. But also in most cultures, it's kind of insulting not to break bread with people. You know what I mean? I do. And especially since they went out of their way and taxed that poor cook to find a vegetarian appropriate meal for him. Baggy. Pocket. I, uh, I also didn't like how he put a little cricket inside that little baggie. Like, that cricket's dead, for the record. Yeah, for sure. And it's not going to a piece of jewelry, either. We have not broken apart that piece of jewelry. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that really quickly. Uh, so, like, crickets are kind of synonymous with silence, right? Like, when it's silent, you get cricket noises, right? And when they ask, why did she bury her ring, he says, so that people would remember would remember her. There's something to prove that she existed. Lista responds by saying, no, we're here because of the ring. The ring is not here because of us. And that's really profound, but I think that it runs kind of like counter to him collecting the, uh, the grasshopper or the cricket. It feels like after that scene, there could have been a scene where he releases the cricket and it's like, yeah, I shouldn't collect this live animal. It doesn't care about me. It's not doing what it's doing because of me. I should only 
only be collecting like inanimate things. I don't know. It just feels wrong to collect a live animal versus like, you know, some dirt or like. No, you're right. It feels wrong to collect a living animal and have no air holes in it and not care for it. Just be like, you are going to suffocate in this plastic bag because. And it's, it's, it's not like he doesn't have any souvenirs in that moment either. He has the grass, the flowers, her house. Like, there's so many other things you could pick. And, like, I do remember the grasshopper cricket motif in coming into a town, but that was not the same town that we are finished at. So I don't really know what to associate it with. It's nice that you started off with it being related to silence, but they didn't let a silent sit or they didn't let the cricket sing. Either way, the, the ring of the crickets, it's a really tough line for me to connect. Yeah, it just feels weird to, like, specifically note that, like, the living aren't doing what they're doing to like give us something in the future they don't they don't know us they don't care about us they're kind of just living for themselves in in their moment like you have to realize that they were people who had lives and they cared about the like the present more than they cared about the future typically and it's weird to have that sentiment very very close to i grabbed this living creature out of its life and am not releasing it (laughs) Fully agreed. Fully agreed there. So um, I was able to pick up the word collector, but then Alex translated it and I was like, oh, oh, I also was able to pick up the word photography. So yeah, it sounds like photography. <laughs> they do say it like six times in a row and it does kind of sound like photography. <laughs> kind of does sound like photography. <laughs> I'm not trying to rob you here or anything. <laughs> So when we first see the house of boxes, I was like, oh, he gets it from he gets it from his grandma. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I also had that moment where I was like, are they going to reveal that this lady was his grandma the whole time? Or like, what's why is this? Grandpa was engaged to Miss Augustine, but we know what really went out. And like, that's kind of hinted at when she's like, I kissed your grandpa and flew a little. And I was like, so why did he get with Augustine though? Question mark. I guess it's just to like annotate that people have like long, big lives. Maybe there's something there for that. And I also, it's probably like something in the translations we're not exactly catching. I know that we have that like immediate impulse to be like, oh, they have to be related to do this. But like, they are related. Like they're from this same like place effectively right like Jonathan specifically has never been there before but his family is from here and so it makes sense that like two steps away is Jonathan why does it seem so unlikely that he would also collect things like somebody who is from uh, Tracton Broad which is like his ancestral home I get it that they do have that in common but we're, we're looking through the eyes of lineage we're trying to find that root we're trying to get the branches of the tree so when I'm getting all these clues like hey it's like some but you know, I was like, are we getting close to the root? Nah, nah. No, um, kind of, mm, a little bit, S- something, something. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly like stuff to be said for it, but uh, I don't know. I think it's like the Star Wars effect, right? Like you have to be a Skywalker or related to be a, to a Skywalker to be like a strong Jedi, and those are the rules for like all of Star Wars for some reason. Okay, you've put me in my place now. I, I didn't mean to be that far reaching, uh, that narrow, but. I see. I see what you mean. I, I, I'm not saying that like this is a you specific thing. I think it's a common thing because I did it too. I'm watching and I'm thinking like, oh, this is his real grandma. And I, I do that, I think, as a result of that like Star Wars mentality of like, if we have anything in common at all in a movie, that means that we're brother and sister or we're uh, mother and child or whatever have you. But like, it, that doesn't make sense. You can have cultural similarities between people that you share like a cultural like connection with or even just you can have similarities by happenstance. So I think... I'm not as attached to the Star Wars. So for me, I'm used to Chekhov's gun. So if you're telling a story about lineage and one of the people is collecting and then another people is collecting, what you want me to do with that information? Clearly you want me to put those two people on the same focus of they're related. Well, yeah, but like, why do they have to be like direct blood related? Because the movie is about direct blood relations. Yeah, but even if it wasn't about direct blood relations, like... Then we should have more context about family is where you're from or your neighbors or stuff like that. Like, this is a village. There was people in the village. We should recognize those people. I, I wasn't groomed to accept the story. Well, for for the record, uh, everyone from the village, save for like two or three people, are dead. Uh, it's like, it's like 4,000 Jewish people that were killed. You're not wrong. They are like a part of the, a big part of this story is like people who survived a horrific tragedy. And like, uh, I, I don't know, uh, instead of being like, oh, okay, she's one of the survivors.
survivors of this horrific tragedy, it's, oh, she's directly related to this guy. <laughs> I, I guess I feel like I was led to believe that, though. That's my problem. Like, I get it afterwards when she's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I was like, oh, I guess it's just a thing some people do. But don't let me get there. I feel like you were leading me there. And then you said, ah, don't do that, Candy Apple. Yeah, I, I get it. Like the movie certainly has a uh, a way of sort of leading us in this way, and it and it does do a good job of that. Leave it to leave Schreiber. You know, clearly he knows what he's doing, but he certainly sort of tricks us into thinking that uh, Grandfather Alex was actually a Nazi, or that Lista was actually blood related to Jonathan in some way. Yeah, and you know, if kissing cousins is a is a blood relation, then yes, yes, she was. <laughs> <laughs> it was a small, small village, love-wise. <laughs> love-wise. Maybe in that generation, there were only seven kids, you know. Jesus Christ. <laughs> there was a, they were a big fan of Game of Thrones over in that village. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, there were only, like, seven kids. I'm saying, like, in the same grade. If they had grades, then this would be, they were all in the same class. Or did yeah, I guess I don't know how many children would be in a village of 4,000 people, but it feels like it'd be more than seven, maybe. I'm sure there is. But those kids were in the grade younger. You know, you don't want to hang out with a younger kid. I, I think back in, in those days, like with, you know, if you had like a village that small of like just 4,000 people, you would you would just sort of lump all the kids together and like do your best to teach like pretty universal stuff that like everybody kind of needs to know, right? I am trying to make do with how they're kissing cousins, but go ahead and be historical with me. I'm sorry. Maybe I used the wrong word. C kissing cousins not the right word. It's a, was it Eskimo brother? Okay, so I grew up in a small town, and uh, the best description I've heard of it is sexual musical chairs. <laughs> people date other people that have already been dated by somebody you are friends with. That's that just is what happens to the dating pool when it's insulated like this. Yeah, we've all we've all dated the same people. Those are the rules. There's only six people available to date, anyways. So I'm not saying there's only six kids, but amongst <laughs> us, there's all uh, the dateable ones are about six. <laughs> oh, that's actually that's actually why Grandfather Alex wanted to leave that village. It had nothing to do with the Nazis. He was just sick and tired of dating the same six. I'm going to America. Life will be better in every way, including the pickings. <laughs> 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 and that's that's why young Alex is like, hey, you are <laughs> you are carnal with the American girls, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I'm carnal with those American girls. Oh, all six of them, yes? Wait, what? <laughs> well, hold on. Oh, there's way more than six, Alex. <gasps> really? <laughs> the legends are true? <laughs> and, and how much do you pay for them? No, hold on, Alex, hold on. <laughs> He was very concerned about making money. I, I, because I'm introduced to him as a dancer, and he dresses like a dancer. So when he's like, "I was born to be an accountant," I was like, "Martin, what? I need more context." My man's has very few things on his mind, and one of them is the American girls, and I gotta respect that. I get it. But hey, we're we're kind of coming up on that time. Is there anything you want to mention real quick before we go ahead and uh, and part the seas and escape from Ukraine? This drama was not as devastating as other Holocaust-related dramas tend to be for me. I think it's special in that way that there is a comedy aspect of it that doesn't quite, I don't know, make you bawl your eyes out when it's over with. And I think it, sh it should be recognized for being able to accomplish that particular mood. Yeah, it's really interesting that the movie's able to sort of... These these are not two genres that are typically juggled well together. Horror and comedy get juggled really well together. Uh, action comedy, you know, we all loved Rush Hour. Romantic comedy? Yeah, well, nah. <clears throat> <laughs> we, we're, we're not all Hallmark girls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But like, but like true hard hitting drama and comedy don't typically get to sort of coexist. And it, and it makes sense uh, that it would be like a, a, a Jewish story or a Jewish interested story that would be able to juggle those two things. In the hands of the right storytellers. It's often, at least in, in my experience and with a lot of like famous Jewish people that they're sort of able to like do a good job of keeping things lighthearted and fun, even if they're getting a little, a little heated or a little serious. So it 
makes sense to me uh, that this would this would work out this way. I, I guess I'm just referring mostly to like people like uh, Stephen Colbert and uh, John Stewart. Yes, and John Stewart. Yeah, both of them are pretty famous Jewish people who are very good at like bringing up very serious topics and keeping them lighthearted and fun. I was thinking about how little comedy is associated with civil rights movies and slavery movies. <laughs> sure, yeah. And how difficult it is for me to want to watch those movies as historically meaningful as they are because it's like if they don't send you home traumatized, they don't feel like they've done their job. Right. Then then you get movies that are like uh, like Django Unchained where it's like it's hard to walk away from that movie thinking like this was a serious take on racism in Civil War period and instead of like this was a cool action romp that was also pretty funny. Yeah. The setting was cool. I haven't seen it in that setting before. Yeah. And it's not like the, the, the directors of those movies like Quentin Tarantino tried to like put in a lot of stuff in there for like to make you think about the horrible treatment of black people at the time but it's still a Quentin Tarantino movie you know like it's still this lighthearted, funny action romp kind of on a similar note to everything is illuminated he did that movie uh Inglorious Bastards and it's similar subject matter but it's a lighthearted, fun comedy action romp I appreciate as an audience member adding some levity in there and like really meaning it, not just like a throwaway line or a dinner scene between two friends at the start of the movie. So it's tactical. It helps people listen to the story to know that there's going to be some heart moments. There's going to be some laughs in there. And I I just kind of wish that that tactic would be appreciated instead of downplayed because it's not Oscar worthy, you know? I think that Alex's character, speaking of Oscar worthy, I think Alex's character does a really, really good job of keeping keeping things like lighthearted and funny and also being a very serious contemplative. You can tell when he's going over time as a translator. Like, what did that guy say? He, he says, uh, keep your eyes on the road. The scenes for me that really do it are like when he's uh, he's contemplating whether or not his grandfather was a Nazi and killed Jewish people and he's trying to argue that he was still a good man. Coming to grips with the history of his country in a light that he has never heard it before or really entertained. It's just like clearly a, a really good performance. It really like he does a good job of like juggling the two different the drama and the comedy. And I, I think it's most clear in Alex's character. We don't get a whole lot of it out of Jonathan. Jonathan's not a very funny guy. Uh, he's mostly playing it straight and being serious. And it's, you know, we get that scene at the end where he's sort of crying, trying not to take this box from Lista. That's still just him playing it straight, you know? Like he's the scenes where he makes a joke. He makes like one joke in the whole movie where he says, uh, everyone from Ukraine all have premium penis. And he goes, even the women. And Alex is like, what do you say about our women? <laughs> yeah. He's like, you're making joke. Yes. And he goes, yes. And they laugh. Aww. Even even immediately after making his one joke in the movie, he immediately has to go back to like, I'm being serious. I'm, I'm being I'm, I, it was just a joke. It was just a joke. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that's all that we've got here, we'll go ahead and call it a call it a day. It was great to have you. I look forward to having you again. Me too. Uh, wonderful to be here on Sea for Yourself. Well, we 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 came, we yourselfed, and we saw. We saw a lot. <laughs> <laughs>